Okay, we've left off in Revelation chapter 20. In Revelation 20, we have some information here about the end of time. Jesus, uh, through John, is giving some information about the devil and uh, the other people that are going to be in the lake of fire, which he has referred to as hell. Let's pick up kind of midway. Verse 11 begins the uh, paragraph, so uh, we'll look at verses 14 and 15 twice, but to kind of take us back and um, help us realize where we st- uh, stopped. Revelation 20, verse 11, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat upon it, from whose face the heaven and the earth fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, the great, the small, standing before the throne, the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is a book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things which were written in the books, according to the works. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works." And death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death, even the lake of fire. And if any was not found in the book of life, he was cast in the lake of fire. Well, let's take a couple of minutes to kind of highlight some of the things that we talked about last week. We've got the great white throne. It's great because it's significant. It's going to be a monumental event. Uh, White, of course, the purity, the righteousness, the holiness of God. Uh, Likely, it seems that Jesus is the one who's pictured as sitting on the throne. John 5.22 says the Father doesn't judge any man. All judgment's been given unto the Son. Uh, So it makes sense to me that Jesus is the one that's being described in uh, Revelation 20, verse 11. The end of time, heaven and earth uh, fled away. Remember, over in Matthew 24, verse 35, Jesus said, My words will not pass away, but what will? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Uh, So here you have that information there as well. And then in verse 12, he says, I saw the the, the dead, the great and the small, everybody is going to be present at the, um, if you will, judgment day or the day of sentencing at the end of time. They're standing before the throne. The books are open. Those books, of course, would um, be a figurative way of describing the deeds of people. Then, of course, you have this other book, the Book of Life, which is mentioned multiple times in the book of Revelation. Um, According to the works, people will have their lives examined when it comes time for the Lord return and to do what's described here. And then we talked about verse 13. People have died sometimes in some odd places, some places that maybe in our mind are hard to reach. Somebody dies in space, somebody dies in the sea. Body can't always be recovered, but it doesn't matter where people uh, die. Um, Wherever those places are, each one will be raised up and uh, stand before the Lord to receive what's just. And then he talks about uh, death and Hades, and they gave up the dead that were in them. And then, of course, once again, a reminder that uh, people are going to be judged for their works. Now, we left off with Hades last week. Hades is a place that we talk about from time to time. Hades is not hell. Anybody remember how the Bible describes Hades? Luke 16 is a pretty good description for it. What's Hades? All right, it's a waiting place. It's a holding place. People die, and the body stays here on the earth. Or if it's in space or in the sea, the body uh, is going to remain there. But there are a couple of parts to men. You have the physical part. And then, of course, you have the eternal part, the spiritual part. Some people refer to it as a soul, and I think a more precise definition is probably spirit. But if you understand whether you use spirit or soul, that this is the eternal part of man that's going to spend eternity in heaven or hell, that part of man goes to this place called Hades. In Luke 16, and I've often uh, pictured Hades when I'm trying to describe it to people as a circle. That could be a you know, rectangle, could be a triangle, or some other shape. But anyway, if you think of it in terms of a circle, Jesus says, inside this circle, you've got a great gulf. And on one side, you've got the righteous folks, or the people who have never been accountable for their sins. We'd put them there as well. And then on the, uh, on the other section, you have the unrighteous people. So there are at least two compartments, maybe more, but at least two compartments in this holding place. 
Well, now here Jesus reminds us uh, through John in Revelation 20 that at the present time, death and Hades hold great sway over people, do they not? Can we stop death? No, we can push things out a little bit. But we all, Hebrews 9 verse 27, will die unless the Lord comes during our earthly lifetime. And then after we die, can we stop the process as far as our eternal spirit going to Hades? Can't stop that either. So, uh, for now, death and Hades have a great deal of control over us. Uh, And yet Jesus, even when he was here on the earth, back in places like Matthew 11, remember he said the people of Nineveh? What did he say about them? People of Nineveh, the Queen of Sheba, those folks... What's going to happen to them at the end of time? They're going to be raised up. And they're also going to be at the day of judgment. So people who have been dead for a long time, we can go all the way back to Adam and Eve, will be raised up at the end of time. Now sometimes people say, well, you know, Adam and Eve, for example. Uh, Biblically, as far as the chronology, I'm going to put them as people who lived about 6,000 years ago. And you think about all the other people that have lived since the earth was first created. I mean, we're talking about possibly trillions of people, maybe even more than that. How is God going to raise them all up? Well, I think the easiest answer is to uh, that question is God's omnipotence, his power. And you have probably some really poor illustrations, but back in, um, it was, let's see here, um, about 1860-something, there was a fellow, Michael Faraday. He was an English scientist. He was born in, let's get the date there, um, 1791. He died in 1865. One day he was in his lab with... An assistant. And they had a golden cup trophy on the shelf. Well, somebody got a little careless. The golden cup trophy got knocked into a basin of chemicals. And the assistant was ready to draw it up. And the doctor said, don't do that. I need help with this experiment. And you just continue working with me. So they finished up the experiment. And the assistant went back a little later to retrieve the cup. And it was gone. He thought somebody had stolen it. The professor said, uh, you know, it's It's okay. So a professor went and got some um, more chemicals and put them in the basin and said, let's, you know, I don't know, he said, go off and get a donut, but he said, we'll come back to that in a little while. Stirred it all up. When he came back, guess what was at the bottom of the basin? Gold. Gold from that golden cup trophy. So they scooped it out, took it to a sculptor, and the sculptor made another golden cup trophy, and that was put back on the shelf. So in this life, I give you that illustration to say, and again, it is by no means perfect or anywhere close to adequate when we think about Christ and the resurrection of all people, but at least in this life, we recognize the principle that we can reassemble, if you will, some things. Now, if we can do that with a cup, you think God can do that for all people? Sure. So when we have information here about all people being raised and death being destroyed and Hades being destroyed, those kinds of things... Um, it's, it's really not that difficult uh, to think that God, the one who has all power, can do it. Okay, uh, there were some other things that I wanted to say here, primarily about verses 14 and 15, but we'll hold those for just a minute. Let's see if there's anything that you want to add or ask before we pick up with Re- uh, Revelation 20, one, or 20, verses 14 and 15. Anybody? Okay. Let's then look at these uh, last two verses, read them again, and then go through them. And death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is a second death, even the lake of fire. And if any was not found written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. Someone once made the statement, which I think is a pretty good quote. He said, death knocks man down. But the resurrection at the end of time raises him up. I like that. Especially when we're dealing with a loved one. Death knocks people down. 
It removes people from our midst, but the resurrection will raise them up. And here is the promise, that a time is coming when death will no longer have any power over people, and this should give great comfort to the saved. You remember back in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26, Paul talked about Christ's enemies? And he says at the end of time, all of those enemies are going to be overthrown or defeated. Well, he says the last enemy that shall be abolished is, anybody remember? Death. So death has, if you will, a shelf life. Uh, Here you have information about it as well as Hades. John says death, Hades, they're going to be cast into the uh, lake of fire, that is hell, at the end of time. Till that time comes, though, will we not have to deal with death? Yeah. And what is death? Anybody remember how James describes it in James 2, verse 26? Death is the separation of the body and the eternal spirit, as I said, some people would say soul. When those two things are separated, the Bible says death occurs. Well, logically, if death is the separation of the body and the spirit, life then, and don't go too far with this, but life then would be the reunion, wouldn't it? Now, people still live, they're still conscious in the Hadean realm. But as far as eternal life, eternal death, being permanently with God or permanently separated from God, once the resurrection occurs, the uh, spirit and the body is somehow reunited, and the Bible doesn't give us all the details about that. Somebody says, well, uh, you know, I weigh, um, you know, uh, 150 pounds, two ounces in the resurrection. Will I be 150 pounds? I I don't know how all that's going to work. The Bible says we're going to be changed, and that's about as far as, as we can go with that. But um, uh, one other source gave a quote which I think really likes. He says, death is the common fate of mankind. And Hades is the common destination of mankind. Now think about that. Death is the common fate. Hades is the common destination. And that's right. Now not everybody goes to the same section, the same uh, side of Hades. But we all have that experience. Uh, Before we get to the New Testament, and we find this word Hades. Do we read about Hades in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament? Yeah, some heads are nodding yes, and I would agree. It's probably not going to be translated Hades, though. It's going to be rendered by another word. What's another word? Uh, very good. Sheol. Now, when we see that, you know, the depths of Sheol. Uh, a lot of times you'll see that maybe back in the Psalms, other sections of the Old Testament where people are talking about a difficult situation. They've lost someone. And uh, going down to Sheol. Well, we're not exactly told where Sheol is. Some people have made some uh, guesses about that. Sheol in the Old Testament, Hades in the New Testament, and Luke 16 does a good job of that. Now, let's head somebody back to Revelation 6, verse 8. We've looked at this passage a long time ago, but John talks about death and Hades again earlier in the book. Revelation 6, verse 8. Somebody have it or about there? All right, Glenda? Okay, I'm just going to stop you there. I don't want to get too much and get distracted from the point. Two forces. First of all, what's mentioned? Death or Hades? What comes first? Death. Death. And it is almost like, well, what would I use to illustrate it? Um, you know, somebody goes first and then another person comes behind and does the mopping up, the cleaning up, if you will. So it's like death continues to move across the globe. And there is, as people die, the separation of the uh, person's body and eternal spirit 
And then after that happens, where's Hades? In tow, right behind it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, they're coming to, uh, I don't know that we have the Grim Reaper idea expressed anywhere in the scriptures, but uh, death and Hades, they're working hand in hand, and that makes sense. But that power, as John is explaining in Revelation chapter 20, is limited. And after the Lord returns, um, death and Hades, as the text says, and we'll talk about this a little more in a second, death and Hades are going to be cast in the lake of fire. Why would they be uh, done away with, death and Hades, after the Lord returns? Oh, okay, both of you got it right, but that's as if you didn't hear that answer, there's no need for them. People who are going to go to hell, you know, they're not going to die in the sense that we think of death. Now, the people who are in heaven, they're certainly not going to die, and there will not be any need for that holding place. Uh, so it makes perfect sense as you look at what John says here. Uh, you do have, of course, the lake of fire, the second death, hell, multiple description for what's being described here. And you can relate what's said to some information back in the first chapter of Revelation 1. Back in Revelation 1, verse 18, the Bible says Jesus has the keys to two things. Keys to a lot more than that. Um, but specifically two things in Revelation 1, verse 18. Anybody remember or want to guess based on what we've said so far? He's got the key to death and Hades. Well, again, when we think about keys, we normally think of a door. Uh, but in this case, he's not talking about a door. He's not talking about a place that you'd unlock. When he says he's got the key to death. He's got the key to Hades. What's he mean? Key is a symbol. It's a way of describing... Well, okay, we're on the right track. Control, another word might be... What about authority? What did Jesus say in Matthew 28? All, all authority. Some translations would say power. But all authority, all power has been given to me. Well, if you have all power, do you have power over death? Yeah. Do you have power over Hades? Yes. Is he going to use that power? Yes. When he returns at the end of time. Now, last week, I ended the class with a little bit of a teaser. Anybody have the King James translation? You want to read verses 14 and 15? And death and hell were cast in a lake of fire. All right, there it is. Lake of fire, we know what that is, right? What is it? Lake of fire is hell. So, what's said to be cast in the lake of fire or hell. First thing is death. Second thing is, all right, hell is being cast into hell. Well, that doesn't make any sense, does it? But if you have another translation, what's it say? Death and Hades. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Death and Hades into hell. Back in 1611, people understood that the word hell in their day and time could describe one of two things. When they heard the word hell, in some cases, they would look at the passage and understand that it means hell in the sense of the second death, eternal punishment. And they understood in that day and time that as they used it, that word hell could also describe Hades. Now, in our day and time, we typically don't find people who make that distinction. When we see the word hell, we think of hell, the second death. Uh, so I would not count that as an error, but I would count that as a change in culture and an understanding. So if you have the King James translation, that's something that you need to file away. That you do have, Luke 16, I think, does the same thing. It refers to Hades as hell. And if you don't remember that little thing, some passages can become very, very perplexing. Trace? Well, I was just thinking that was written for the Catholics. So did they really realize it was Hades, or did they consider it purgatory? Because I don't know if purgatory came along. 
I was thinking purgatory came along well prior to that time. But quick thought? Okay, yeah. Um, which religious groups failed to make that distinction? I can't say. Um, but again, I think a lot of the people at that day and time understood the difference, but in our day and time, that's lost by and large. So uh, that's, like I say, one of the things that you do need to remember, and in the Greek text, Hades is the word that's used here, as well as Luke 16. Anything that you want to address before we talk about hell a little bit? Okay. Describing hell as a lake of fire brings maybe to your mind what kind of image? Hell. Lake of fire. Well, I think that would be one of the things that we would want to say. Hot, unpleasant, undesirable. All right, we think about suffering, uh, a great deal of suffering. And almost, you know, when you think about water, if it's an unpleasant experience, you think about people drowning in the water. They're, they're submerged and there's no way for them to rise to the top. And there are, I think, even in a track rack, we have uh, at least one track which kind of pictures people being immersed in flames. Well, that may or may not be the right idea. I don't know. Um, but if it's not literal, and it's probably not, since a lot of the other material in this book is figurative, if it's not literal, it certainly gives you an image which says it's hot, it's undesirable, it's unpleasant. This is a place where people do not want to go. And then, <coughs> excuse me, and then in conjunction with this, let's back up to verse 10. Anybody want to read that? Revelation 20, verse 10. All right, Carolyn. Okay, there it is. Fire, there's an image of pain. But now that image is coupled with something else. There's also brimstone. We hear that. So people in the past especially would say, well, that was a fire and brimstone sermon today. But do we know what brimstone is? Okay, uh, that's putting us in the right direction. But let's see if we can add a little more to it. Brimstone. Anybody ever have sulfur water? Sulfur in the water? Nasty. Very nasty. And that's what you would associate with the uh, word brimstone here. It is that nauseating odor. I got really hungry for some corn dogs. So I bought some about a week ago. And I don't know how long, probably about eight days before my corn dogs are gone. But um, every once in a while, I just get really hungry for those. And Teresa came out the other day and says, you're making me sick. You know, I just don't like the smell. That's nauseating to me. Well, there are certain smells in life which are repulsive to us. We smell and we think, oh, man, that is awful. We want to get away. You know, you've got somebody that may be burning some bad stuff, or you've got a situation where people are working with sewage, and you just think, this is foul, this is bad. And if we're around something for a day, we think it's awful. But can you imagine, in addition to the fire slash pain, also having to smell some nasty fumes. That's the picture of hell. So at least two different images which tell us that things that we despise in this life, things that we really hate, God says this is what people are going to experience and they're going to experience it for all eternity. Uh, so not really connected to class, but really because we want to talk about Bible authority one more time. I'm going to say more about hell uh, in the morning lesson. But the picture here is pretty graphic. Anything else that you want to say about that before we move on to an additional point? Okay, uh, the final verse in Revelation chapter 20 uh, is a good summary statement. What's John say as far as the number of people? If 
Any. So there again, it takes us back to the idea of a universal judgment. If any is not found in the book of life, what happens to him? He's off to lake of fire that has this nauseating, this very uh, offensive odor. So God has a plan. People either follow that plan or they choose not to. And for those who fail to follow God's plan, they're going to spend eternity in the place called hell. And then John kind of summed this up back in Revelation chapter 2, verse 11. If you were to turn back there, you would read, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Very good. John said this is information that you need to think about. It's information that you need to know. It's information that you need to apply. And then in those early chapters of book, uh, the book of Revelation, what's that O word John used several times? You need to be an overcomer. Remember that? He that overcomes is going to receive these promises. He that overcomes is not going to suffer punishment uh, in the place called hell. Be faithful even to the point of death. Revelation 2.10, so you do not need to go to this place. Now, as we anything that you want to, again, add or ask before we pick up with an additional point. All right, let's go a little further. Now, this chapter ends with verse 15. But as we've noted in some other classes, were the chapter and verse divisions put in by God or somebody else? All right, by man. Now, you would hope that after a lot of study, people would get it right. And I think for the most part, when you look at a Bible and you see how the chapters and the verses are divided up, generally things have gone really well. But there are some places in the Bible where the chapter, chapter divisions are bad. And here I think we have a very bad chapter break. When we think about Revelation 21, and this in my mind is what causes people to really get off in Revelation 21 verse 2. John says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth are passed away, and the sea is no more. Well, you know, that sounds a lot like, you know, people are um, you know, headed to a new chapter and, and whatnot. But I think if you consider what we've said, John has talked about hell. The devil's going to go there. His helpers are going to go there. Uh, the unsaved are going to go there. Well, if he's talked about all the bad folks, wouldn't it then make sense to spend at least a little time talking about the good folks? Yeah. So where would you put the information about the good folks? Wouldn't it make sense to close out the chapter with the righteous folks? Add that one verse. Instead of Revelation 20, verse 15, have Revelation 20, 16. And then the new chapter would start with what we refer to as Revelation 21, verse 2. So as we continue to move through this, I think that's going to um, make a lot of sense. Um, that he deals with the unrighteous people, the uh, saved will also have a new home, a new heaven, and a new earth, and then people will have their eternal sentence and they're going to start serving that. If you look ahead a little bit, and we'll say more about this, you've uh, maybe seen the handout, and if not, we'll get one of those to you as well before class ends. Um, <clears throat> in my view, and how I'm going to teach this is John finishes up this discussion in Revelation uh, 21 verse 1 that closes it out. And then, as we've said before, as we've looked at it in the class, uh, this book deals with Revelation from a recapitulation standpoint. John says some things, and then after he finishes up, he goes back and says the same things again from a different perspective, and you have this cycle. Well, beginning, since he's completed the cycle... Revelation 20 and then Revelation 21 verse 1. Uh, he's gotten people to the end of time, the saved and the lost. Now he's going to go back and again start that cycle over. Talking about things from the Christian era in Revelation 21 and in Revelation 22. Uh, now you can see that, some initial indications. Look down Revelation 21 verse 6. He says there, And he said unto me, 
they are come to pass. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Now, someone has the view that Revelation 21 and 22 describes heaven. Would that really relate to the people who have been taken to heaven? I'm going to give you the water of life. Are we going to need to be drinking out of a river up there? No, we've already got it. I mean, if we're in heaven, we're, we're, you know, that was a place, remember? The unsaved in hell, they're not going to die. The people in heaven, they're going to stay there. So Revelation 21, verse 6, as you look at that, that's got to refer to not heaven, but now, wouldn't it? This is where we get the water of life. And then as you look ahead, just a little bit more, and there are several examples of this, but look at the next one. He that overcomes, well, when do we need to be an overcomer? Now, he that overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And we're going to see this again and again as we go through Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 22. Uh, When you look at the book of Revelation, you see some things in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and certainly in the book of John, that are parallels. And when you consider John's age, he probably was an old man thinking about some of the same things. Uh, You find a lot of the same basic themes. And we've talked about this a little bit, especially in the uh, study in 1st John 3. Um, I'll describe it this way. When you look at John, he again and again goes back to the ideas, uh, the idea that there are only two spheres, two realms in which man can live. And in John's writings, he refers to these as light, uh, darkness, life or death, sin, unrighteousness, confession, denial, truth, lies, obedience, disobedience, love, hate, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan, the old man, the new man. We can follow the beasts or we can follow Christ. Uh, we can be in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness, all those kinds of things. And then, of course, from Revelation 20, only the people who follow Christ are going to be in the book of life. They avoid the second death and all those other things. One other quick point, and then again we'll stop and see if there's anything that you want to add or ask. In verse 15, notice at the first part of the verse, he says, And if any, if any, was not found written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. Do you think that word, if, expresses any uncertainty? Sometimes we say if, we're not positive about something. He says, and if any. Think there's any un- room for any uncertainty there? Okay, it makes things a little clearer. There is no question. There's 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 no if, uh, as far as what's being expressed in the original tense. It could be uh, described as if anyone's name, which is a translation that you have, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, and I assume there was such, um, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So uh, again, no question about what's going on there. All right, we do want to spend some time introducing Revelation 21, 22, and then start this part of the Bible next week. Now, if I were to ever teach Revelation again, I'm not sure I would do this, but I'd be tempted to start with Revelation 21 and 22. And after we had gone through that material, these last two chapters, then go back to Revelation 1 and teach you the book, and then pick 21 and 22 up at, at the end. Because the more I've looked at this, and like I say, I probably changed my view in Revelation 21, 22 about 10 years ago. Uh, for the longest time, I thought it referred to heaven and the afterlife. But I have revised my view. Uh, I think you do have a few things in here that can be related to the afterlife. But for the most part, 21 and 22 um, are going to be looked at as things that take place throughout the Christian era, especially things related to the church. And my hope is that as we go through this, if this is the right take, 
as you look at the material, you'll think, oh, wow. You know, I knew that stuff about other portions of the New Testament before, but now looking at it through the lens of Revelation 21, 22, it just pops. I mean, I've, I've gotten a whole new dimension on things as far as maybe a deeper understanding, uh, a greater appreciation of some things. But before we start that, anything that you wanted to add or ask? Okay, let's deal with some things here. Uh, let's make sure we've got a handout. Uh, Ray, would you mind making sure that everybody's got one of those? I'll just that out. I got a, and maybe I'll get to this as you go in verse 1 of chapter 21, but I've had a conversation with a gentleman at work, a Jehovah's Witness. Um, he believes, as we've discussed in Revelation, that there's 144,000 Americans in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody else is going to hell, though. Because what he did is he went to this verse right here, and he states that there's 144,000 that are going to heaven. Then there's still those that are saved that are going to be on the new earth. And then there's those that are going to be in hell. Right. So how do you describe the new verb? Okay. Let's get out the graphic that we've got. Because he basically told me he, he wasn't going to go to heaven. And he just, when he made that statement, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. What are you going to church for? <laughs> well, in, in their translation, the New World Translation of 2 Peter 3, I think I'd start uh, with those folks with 2 Peter 3 where Peter says the earth is, and the works therein are going to be burned up. Now, the Jehovah, transla- the Jehovah Witness translation, the New World translation, would say that the earth is going to be uh, refurbished. But if you look carefully, there's enough there still in 2 Peter 3 to say, look, you've taken a word, and even though this translation has changed that word, you still have um, enough in there. Um, Brian, maybe you can find it. Um, in my office... I can show you from that. You could also turn over, for example, to Hebrews chapter 1, you know, where um, the Hebrew writer talked about um, God's going to fold up, basically, the universe, not going to refurbish it. Uh, So you could use that passage as well. There are some verses in the New Testament. Jesus' words, Matthew 24, verse 35, he says, heaven and earth are going to pass away. And I'd say, how do you, um, you know, how do you explain that? You know, he doesn't say refurbish. He said they're going to pass away. They're going to be done away with. Um, and look at it from that particular standpoint. And if he's willing to do that, uh, then pick up with things like we have here in the chart. Now, if you look at the chart, and as I say, this tries to set the stage for Revelation 21 and 22. Uh, John talks about the apostles' names, the gates, and so forth. Um, up there on the far left, you have outside the church spiritual darkness. Most people, I think, would be on board with that. And they'd also be on board with the idea that Christ is the light of the world. Remember? Isn't that what Jesus said? I am the light of the world. Hey, that was quicker than I expected. Thank you very much. All right, let's pause on that for a second and see what we have. Uh, Sorry, I can't share this with everybody, but at least I can read for the class. 2 Peter chapter 3. Okay, starting with verse 8. However, let this one fact not be escaping your notice. Beloved ones, that one day is with Jehovah as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Jehovah is not slow respecting his promise, as some consider slowness, but he's patient with you because he does not desire any to be destroyed, but desires all to um, attain repentance. Yet, 
or yes, yeah, yet, yet, yet Jehovah's day will come as a thief in which the heavens will pass away. Well, that would be one of the things I would point out. You know, if the heavens pass away, what does that mean? I mean, it sure sounds to me like they're going uh, away. He says, with a hissing noise. Well, again, you know, what does that mean? That sure sounds like they're going out of existence. But the elements, being intensely hot, will be dissolved. What does the word dissolve mean? I mean, this, this is your Bible, if you're talking to your coworker, And I'd say, look, explain these things to me. And the earth and the works therein will be discovered. Now, that's the word that they try to change. Uh, it, you know, discovered, refurbished, there's the idea there. And even on that word, I'd say, what does that mean? I mean, haven't they been discovered? And then if you were to um, continue, verse 11 says, since all, I'd say, notice that. Underline that word, if you would, in your Bible. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. I'd say, what does the word dissolve mean to you? Since all these things are to be dissolved, what sort of persons ought you to be in the holy acts of conduct and deeds and godly devotion? Um, and there again, verse 12, they bracket this. Awaiting and keeping close in mind the presence of the day of Jehovah, through which the heavens being on fire will be dissolved. There again is that word. So if you can explain it once, why does the text keep coming back to this? And then I think you could take a um, standard translation like the King James or ASV, and they've actually put their name on some ASV Bibles. So, I mean, they wouldn't do that if those translations you know, were completely uh, flawed in, in their minds. Um, awaiting the keeping close in mind the presence of the day of Jehovah through which the heavens being on fire will be dissolved and the elements being uh, intensely hot will melt. I said, well, what does that mean? And then he says, um, but there are new heavens and a new earth that we are awaiting according to his promises and in these righteousness to dwell. And then if you were to turn over. That, that's right, right there, that last one is where he is. Okay. It all dissolves. It all burns up. Okay. Well, there again, when you come back to the book of Revelation, you um, have, uh, let's see, thinking the 144,000. Right. Back in Revelation 7, and this will work for a lot of religious groups. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, let's see from there. Starting with 13. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, These are they arrayed in the white robes. Who are they, and whence come they? And I say, My Lord, thou knowest. He said unto me, They are they that have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And where was the statement about virginity there? I'm not seeing it. I was sure it was in Revelation 7 where it describes 144,000. So new, is it four? I've got some new contacts in order, but see the word virgin there? Uh, let's take a quick. It says they are virgins. I thought it was in chapter seven. Uh, 
Is it 14.4? Okay. Uh, that's the chapter that says that they're standing with the Lord on the mountain. Um, 14.1 says, And I saw and behold the Lamb standing on the Mount Zion, and with him of 144,000. Right, they're sealed, names written on the forehead. And then let's move down to 4. These are they that were not defiled with women. Thank you, Brian. For their virgins. Uh, these are they that follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. They are purchased from among men to be the first fruits unto God. So, my question in situations like you described, Jeff, is how do you um, flip from figurative to literal back and forth? You know, you have, if you believe that 144,000 is a literal number, then do you not also accept that they're virgins? I have never found a Jehovah Witness that will make that statement. Well, that's figurative. Well, now they're back to back. So, how do you justify jumping from, you know, this is literal and this is not? Um, and again, I've just never gotten a good answer to that, but that would be the position. But if you, um, and, and like I say, I think that's maybe where you can get some aid as far as uh, studying Revelation 21 and 22. Uh, you've got people who are inside the faith, outside the faith, they would agree on that point. You've got spiritual light through Christ. I think they would agree to that point. They'd not say Jesus is God. They'd say he is a God, but certainly the spiritual light. And then, looking at this as far as inside the church, outside the church, back there by the uh, tree of life, the 144,000, Revelation 7 and 14, they're sealed by God. Paul talks about being sealed uh, in Ephesians 1, verse 13. And then, as Brian mentioned, uh, you've got the um, 144,000, which we went through numerology uh, way back when, 12... We see that number in the Bible associated with various things, don't we? Twelve. How many apostles do we have? Twelve. How many tribes of Israel? Twelve. And that number twelve is a number that represents organized religion. And then when you begin to multiply it out, you see when you um, begin to uh, times it, um, you know, you've got, um, for example, ten, a hundred, a thousand. When we talk about ten toes, ten fingers... You know, 10 is a number of four. I've told you 10 times. What do we mean? Multiple times, a complete, a sufficient number of times. So you've got the multiple of 10. You've got um, 12, which is um, a number for organized religion. You come up with 144,000 uh, when you combine those things together. And it's a way of describing all the saved. Um, Mount Zion, you find that referred to in the Old Testament. Uh, you also have the reference there in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 23, 12, 22. And I think 23, he says, you're come to where? Mount Zion. You've come to the church. And in the church, do we not have the living water? What did Jesus say to the woman in Samaria? John 4. I can offer you what kind of water? Living water. And if you partake of this water, what's going to happen? You're never going to thirst again. Well, she wasn't going to have that in heaven, but that was going to be in this life. And then the tree of life. Are we going to have to be up there in heaven eating oranges and tangerines off of a tree? Well, no. Where's the tree of life? Here. The tree of life was here initially, wasn't it? Yeah. And it's been restored. How and when? Through Christ, through the church. Uh, You know, Jesus, remember the discussion in John chapter 6? He said, I am the bread of life. Well, he didn't really compare himself to a tree, but it's the idea. And the water, um, the gospel... Prophesied in the Old Testament, John chapter 4. And then we also have, um, as many are familiar with, the street of gold. Well, a lot of people think about, well, the street of gold is going to be up in heaven. Well, I don't know that we're going to have any streets up in heaven, but whatever is there, I don't think that's what John's talking about when he talks about the street of gold. 
But when he talks about the street of gold, when he refers to the jewels in Revelation chapter 20 and the glory and so forth, referring to the church, talking about what people have in the spiritual realm. And if people don't realize that, then their view of the church is, ah, yeah, I can kind of take it, leave it. It's not that important. One church is as good as another. Not when you read Revelation 21 and 22. As I say, this really begins to open up a lot of passages as far as some other things. Uh, You've got, for example, over there on the right, the gates of pearl, the 12 gates, the name of the 12 tribes, the apostles, and so forth. Well, think about that in relation to um, Ephesians 2, verse 20. The church, the ultimate foundation is Christ, 1 Corinthians 3. But the church, Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 20, was also founded, if you will, on the apostles and the prophets. And if we're going to get into the church, isn't there a gate, if you will, and a gatekeeper? Who's that? Acts 2 says... Who added who to the church? Christ added people to the church daily, such as was being saved. So we'll have to say a little bit more about that next week. But um, again, that's kind of where we're headed, and that will give you a glimpse of it.